Welcome to episode 117. Today, queer educator Nicholas Emmanuel will talk about creating a queer affirming environment for students and colleagues. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. We conclude our queer series of the podcast with a conversation on how to create a walkroom environment, why it's needed, what's so hard about it, and how it connects to working with multilingual students. Even if you're not queer identifying, and even if you don't teach queer students currently or work with queer colleagues right now, you might in the future or your students now might have queer identifying family members and loved ones. Since identity is such a huge part of who we are as human beings, this conversation shares how we can affirm a queer identity. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so honored and excited to interview Mr. Nicholas Emmanuel, all the way from Erie, Pennsylvania, another fellow queer educator who teaches multilingual students. Nicholas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tan. It's awesome to be here. Um, And I'm so glad we get to talk uh, face to face, at least on screen, uh, since we've been connected on Twitter for so long. That's the magic of Twitter. So... Just a side, just a very quick side tangent, everybody. If you're not on Twitter, go and get on Twitter, become friends with people, learn from them, and then you will have relationships that you have never thought. Like I know Nicholas now for the last three, four years, and I feel like we're very close to each other, even though this is the first time I've talked to you. Absolutely. So Nicholas, do tell us about your context and your background where you currently teach. Sure. I'm a a high school English teacher uh, outside of Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, My training is actually K-6 regular education, so I'm certified in in elementary education. I'm certified in special education, which I started my career in, and in secondary English. I also have an ESL program specialist certification, so I just keep like adding things to my my repertoire. Um, I started my career as a special ed teacher. Uh, I co-taught English classes, and then I became my other half um, and I'm a regular education teacher. I co-teach inclusive sections of English. Um, I do have um, a small group of multilingual learners every year or, or one or two here or there. Um, otherwise, professionally, um, I've served as a local union rep. I've been a student council advisor, and I currently still direct a play every year at school. Um, not the musicals, but the plays. Um, so we, we've got those queued up. Um, Otherwise, as as perhaps relevant to this podcast, um, my husband is also an English teacher uh, in a neighboring district. We we, we don't teach next to each other, Um, but our districts are next door to each other or close enough. 
Um, so it's great being married to another English teacher. Um, so yeah, and and yeah, I don't know. That, that's my basic background, I guess. I could talk about education all day, which is, I guess, why we're here. Um, uh, this is my 15th year teaching. So so I've got some some experience under my belt, but it's always fascinating that I just, you just never know enough. As, as well prepared as you think you might be in any given year, you just never know what happens. Well, you mentioned that your husband is also an English teacher. And so I'd is. love to, uh, if you want to weave in his experience uh, being a, an out teacher who's who uh, in the community that would be so wonderful so let's talk about uh because we're going to use lots of terms in this podcast and the community has lots of terms and working with mls we have lots of terms so let's talk about reclaiming the term queer yeah yeah and this one this one's interesting so i will say all of my examples of course from my context i've taught in the same building my whole career uh and i know when we talk whether we're talking about multilingual learners whether we're talking about the queer community, whatever we're talking about, I know context is so important, right? We we always see, oh, research says, and we always have to say, well, what's the context of that research? So as a disclaimer in advance, everything I say is based off of my personal experiences uh, in my context. Um, but yeah, reclaiming the, the term queer, I think, I think people who are not part of the LGBTQ plus community hear the word queer, and I think some people still are not quite sure how that word is or should be used. Um, so I tend to use the word queer as, a, as an umbrella term for anything LGBTQ plus related. Um, so anything that's pushing against um, traditional expectations of gender or orientation or identity. Um, so I guess we should probably like go through some terms if, that's, if, if that makes sense. Um, so there is, of course, biological sex, the, the assigned at birth. So, so the anatomy of someone, that's biological sex. And then we have gender, uh, which is a social construct. Uh, I feel that I should also say I am not a queer theorist. Um, I am working on my PhD in curriculum instruction and in the science of learning, um, but queer studies is not my, my specialty. Um, so again, I'm, I'm speaking here from, from experience and life experience and knowing people. Um, but gender is, as a social construct of like what we what we expect men or women to be. Um, and as I was thinking of, of how to talk about this, I had mentioned, I was thinking to myself, gender at least typically seen through the Western white gaze, but G-A-Z-E, not G-A-Y-S, um, which, which I feel I should be clarified here. But the, like, right, how do we expect people of a certain biological sex to act would be gender, and then then there's the play in there. Um, so we typically see that as a as a binary of male versus female. It, it tends to be pitted against each other. Um, but then we have this idea of of gender non-binary, where, where those either or option um, isn't doesn't fit who somebody is. So we can take a look at a, a spectrum. Of, of gender, gender on a spectrum, or, or gender being broad and beyond just one or the other. So that's gender, which may or may not match the assigned at birth biological sex, which is where we get our terms cisgender, where the biological sex assigned at birth matches the social uh, construct of gender. So born with male anatomy, uh, identify as a male, whatever society constructs that as, that would make someone cisgender, which is then uh, contrasted. I don't know if, again, maybe contrast is bad because that's binary, but then we get transgender, right? Where, where the biological sex is not matching the gender that the person um, 
identifies with or, or feels is right for them or knows is right for them um, and anywhere in between. On top of all of that, the sexual orientation of who you're attracted to, um, which we then take a look at someone's gender and who they're attracted to. So we can have someone who's a transgender male who's attracted to men or a transgender male who's attracted to females, or we've got all these interplays. And I find that with my colleagues who, who ask questions, especially when we talk about uh, students who are transgender, it's also confusing. It, I mean, maybe, but once we realize that we have biological sex, we have gender, and then we have sexual orientation with some other perhaps concepts in between, we can start better understanding our students and, and our colleagues and the people around us. Um, so we have biological sex, gender as a social construct, which leads to looking at people as cisgendered or transgender, and then sexual orientation. So when we talk about the term queer, it encompasses all of those things, um, which we can define separately that clearly interplay with each other. Um, but queer is gonna be this pushing against the traditional assumptions um, and binary thinking um, and encompasses all of those, those concepts. Um, and I find that talking with, with colleagues, a lot of my colleagues um, just who, who are not, who don't perhaps have a lot of um, gay or queer or LGBTQ plus friends, uh, just are still unsure about, about those concepts as we talk about identity, as we talk about who people are. Why do you think that's so important to talk about identity when working as a teacher? Shouldn't we just teach curriculum and that's it and standards? Right, right, right. So we have, there's, there's this idea that like, oh, we're, we're just teaching. We're, we're, we're just teaching. Um, there, there's always more to just teaching. Um, we have to, uh, I just heard an interview with um, Dr. Geneva Gay um, on, on how best practices are not always best for everybody, that everything is culturally and contextually situated. And what's good for one person is not always good for another because of what we bring to the table. And sometimes just because we have a student who might be queer, maybe what we typically do for everyone absolutely does work for that person. And sometimes it might not. And sometimes that student might need to feel affirmed in different ways, especially depending on the communities they're part of, um, of their friends or where they are in their own journey of, of um, being comfortable with themselves. So I think helping to educate other teachers and our peers and even students, especially students, on these terms and, and different ways that people identify um, is really important. I, I think we see that all the time in um, multilingual education, the idea of, of race and ethnicity and, and context and language and dialect. I mean, there's so, there's so many pieces that if we're not aware of them, we don't quite even know whether we should be, uh, or, or we don't know how to embrace all those ideas if we're not aware of them. So I think that awareness there is really important. Yeah, it, it really talks to the concept of culturally responsive and culturally sustaining pedagogy, where we want to make something relevant to students. And if we don't know them or we don't allow the whole child to be part of their learning experience, where we say, oh, no, this part, yeah, you can bring to school, but this part, no, 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 you can't. We tell kids they should decompartmentalize their, their different identities. And they're going to say, well, if you don't value this part of me, you probably don't value other parts. So. I'm not going to show you the whole me and I'm not going to be the whole me at school. 
Right. Absolutely. And and then everyone's bringing everyone's bringing those identities differently. When we talk about intersectionality, right? Where, whether we're mixing, taking a look at someone's uh, sexual orientation, but also their language, or also their gender, or also their their religion. I mean, there's so many compounding factors that everyone's going to bring those to the table differently. So the more that we as teachers are aware of the variety of ways that people are uh, and what people believe and what people feel and, and what people know, uh, I think it gives us more, it adds to our repertoire of how we can interact with students, um, especially when we need more perhaps one-on-one -on -one finessing when we're doing, if we're doing conferences with students, um, when we're working with them perhaps after school in a tutoring session or during a, a study hall or, or whatever context we have in our buildings, um, being more aware of ways that people know who they are uh, can only help us as teachers. Uh, not that we're counselors, not that we're, we're encouraging people to do one thing or the other, but being aware of what students do bring to the table. Um, that is that assets-based education that we talk about with with education in all aspects, again, especially with multilingual learners as well, um, but with anybody, it's, right. it's an asset based. In the same way, like we want students to bring their whole selves, we bring our whole selves to school as well. So I last once in a while, I'll do a book talk and I'll tell kids like after mm. their their 10 minutes of reading in the beginning, I'll say, hey, kids, this is the book that I'm currently reading. I read a nonfiction book and I read a fiction book uh, like one like those two books a day and then this one book that I'm reading is called uh, This is Rainbow, um, and it's an LGBT book. And I showed it, and I um, projected a picture of it on the board, and then two students were looking at each other like, oh, you should get that book, because uh, that, that one of the students in particular uses the word, uh, the, the pronouns they, them. Mm -hmm. And it was so affirming, I'm, I think, to have, for that student to say, there's a teacher in the school and he's okay with sharing that he's reading about queer books, right? Because that never happened when I was in high school, middle school, even elementary school. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I've, I've got a, can I follow up a story with that one? Um, I might actually tell, uh, let me do a couple of stories here. I think which will help with my context. So uh, when I started teaching, uh, I was not out to my students. I was out to my colleagues, um, but I just didn't feel, I, I don't know. I didn't know how to broach the topic. Um, I know in some scenarios, people might feel unsafe being out. So I think as we go on, I definitely want to say, you know, we all have to gauge our contexts. Um, I was fine and comfortable being out to my colleagues. In other circumstances, I know that's not an option. Same thing with being out to students. So just as a reminder, I'm only speaking of my context. And I think uh, as I go on and I mentioned some stories, um, these are stories from throughout my career. So they're not necessarily students I have now. Uh, I also may change. I know, I know pronouns are so important. Um, I might, I may use they, them pronouns as a singular option to, so I'm not revealing a gender that a student may, the student's gender. Uh, and sometimes I might swap genders, which I suspect might be conflicting on a episode here where we're talking about the importance, but because I am still currently a teacher and I, and some students, you know, I just, so anyway, anyway, for, for student privacy, I may be swapping some pronouns and in, in things there. These are um, stories though, that, that they're not stories, they're real life things. Um, but early on in my career, before I was out, um, I was co-teaching. I, I teach with a, at the time I was a special education teacher. So I was, I was co-teaching with a regular ed teacher and we had a, 
a boy. Um, he was kind of like a, one of those tough kids. He was a, a ten, ninth grader, I think, at the time. Uh, kind of tough, um, you know, stood his ground, rough and tumble, very like stereotypic in, the, in that regard. Um, and I was working with all the students. Now I was out one day, and this student came up to my co-teacher, and they said, "So and so said, said Mr. E's gay. Tell, tell him to knock it off." And it was like cute because he was defending me. I mean, he he thought being like he he didn't think being gay was obviously a good thing. Uh, but he had asked my co-teacher to be like, "Hey, like t- tell him it's not true. Like tell him it's not true." And he was like standing up for me, which is, I mean, it was kind of funny. Um, which I find is really challenging then when, before I was out at school, that it does put that awkwardness on my colleagues because students do ask, they're curious and that not that they ask maliciously. Um, so it's one of those pieces where it's like, well, you'd have to ask him if you're, if you want to know that, or, you know, we have to kind of divert since I've gotten married. So, um, my husband, as I said, is also an English teacher. Um, he's also, uh, Vietnamese. He immigrated here when he was younger. Um, and so once we got married, it was easier for me to say like, oh, on our honeymoon last summer, or I have my wedding ring, or I can say, oh, my husband and I were just talking about whatever. And it was easier for me to come out more now. It wasn't an event. I just kind of, I will just say that. You know, oh, my husband and I did whatever. And so recently, I think that's helped me connect with some of our our queer students a bit more just because they know that that they know that I'm gay. And again, in my context, I've been able to be out um, in that way without repercussion. Um, our school does have a gay straight alliance. I am not the advisor of that. But now that I can mention that in class, um, when we were virtual, I had put my pronouns in my Zoom handle. We had a, a virtual day. We were we were in person a lot of the time in the 20. 2020, 2021 school year. Um, but the first day of the semester, we were virtual. Uh, and so I had my pronouns on my screen. And it was fascinating that a handful of students had changed their pronouns to, to perhaps like she, they, or they, them. And, and there was there's some changing. And not that I asked. And I think that's a thing. I think a lot of people will say like, you know, tell us your pronouns. And I think sometimes that can be, um, it, it puts people on the spot. Because if students aren't comfortable sharing their pronouns with the whole class, who they might not who they may not know by forcing the pronouns are they gonna have to out themselves or they're still gonna have to hide who they are and, and then actively type in a pronoun they don't identify with on the screen. So I, I don't like forcing that, um, but I just threw it on, on my username on, on Zoom. And it was great to see some students do that. It was, it was cool. I didn't anticipate that, um, but that was a little like flag to them uh, that they could be comfortable doing so. But I will say since I've been out, I've had a handful of students um, write notes to me, usually after, after they have had me for class. Um, I had a student, a queer student, I don't need the details of, of that, um, who wrote a note to me and said, it might sound shallow, but you completely shattered my perception of an actual gay adult. Like, it's kind of funny, right? You freaked me out when you walked into class happy because one, it's 8 a.m. And two, gay people aren't supposed to be happy. I know in theory they are, like celebrities, but they are all so far removed from real life that it didn't feel practical. I thought that if I made it to adulthood, the only possible outcome was misery and drug addiction. That was a future drilled into my head. 
I didn't realize that you could live a happy, normal, and successful life as someone openly gay until I saw you do it. And that's not a response I expected. I, I think because my journey as a gay man, as a white gay man, has been pretty smooth sailing. In my, my role at work, I have not been challenged. Um, and then to still be in, the, in my school community, my school context, and know that my students' experiences are so different from my own, even though we might be both under the queer umbrella, um, that was eye-opening for me still. But I thought, oh good, we're coming along. Like, you know, we've, I've, I've got, LGBTQ books on my on my bookshelf if students want to check them out. We have students in the hallways holding hands, you know. It, 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 I don't see a lot of the challenges that other schools or contexts may have, but to still hear those stories and, and that story is not singular. Yeah, that that's been interesting for me. Um, seeing just the, the range still, even within my own local context of, of student comfort. Those stories, in particular, the that letter that you shared was just so moving because uh, you shattered. I'm going to use the students' words. You shattered my perception of what uh, gay means to be in, in adulthood, yeah. right? And you helped that student understand. Oh, there is a media version, mm. and then there's the reality version. Yeah, and it's more. It becomes more personal, and it. And I will say those those aren't. It's not like I'm meeting one-on-one -on -one with students and like telling them what it's like to be gay. Like that, I'm teaching. <laughs> I'm teaching. We're reading and writing. Not we're, we're reading nonfiction articles. We, we use Newsella in, in recent years for some nonfiction. We're reading Romeo and Juliet, or students are self-selecting um, novels for for independent reading. We're we're writing poetry. I mean, the things I'm doing are not personal. I, I don't know if that if that's the right phrasing of it, but I'm not having one-on-one -on -one life discussions with students. Once in a while, something pops up in any in any context with any student, uh, and not just queer related, but just being present. Now, again, me being an out educator—that's that's that story of me being out, and I know not everyone can be out, and not everyone listening is under the queer umbrella. Like we, I got that all, um, but students knowing that they can be safe or students knowing that there are options or students seeing representation. And again, whether we're talking about, about race, culture, language, sexual orientation, that representation again and again has shown me how important that is when students feel connected in class. That's what I wanted to say. You know how like there is a movement of like, hey, let's have representation of like BIPOC kids in, in literature. But then like the literature that we get is like not by BIPOC people or like stereotypical. And so I guess what, what I was trying to say was when you shared a different perspective, you shared a reality that they needed beyond what has been fed to them. And so that's another call for teachers to say, um, you could be yourself, right? And, and when you are in your great context, it helps students in a way that we don't see, right? It plants a seed that grows later that we don't see. Right. right, and we just don't, we don't, we don't know. We don't know what students' lives are. We don't know who their, what, who their families are, um, right? So we might say like, oh, I, I have no queer students in my classes. And perhaps 
maybe there is, you know, classes where nobody's gay. That, but we don't know the students' families. We don't know their friends. Um, it's I, I've I've had a few students in the past who says, "Oh, my 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 dad's boyfriend or my dad's husband does whatever." I mean, there's there's like no reason for them to bring that up. Um, actually, that one for the past, ooh, I don't know, maybe three years. I, I've I do smiles and frowns every day from Monty Syrie. If you don't follow Monty Syrie on Twitter, um, go check him out. Uh, he's a wonderful educator, but he just smiles and frowns and asks them to share out something positive, a smile, or something negative, a frown. I always tell my students, like a, a smile might be like, I had my favorite Pop-Tart this morning. Or it could be something big, like I'm, I'll be in my sister's wedding this weekend. Uh, or a frown might be like, I'm tired. It could be something simple. Or like, my cat died. It could be something big. But we're not asking students to, to di divulge their deep, dark secrets. It's just a nice check-in. If students really struggle with it, I allow them to say, oh, it's just, a, it's just a general smile day or a general frown day. I try to be as some specific, right? Give, give me something. Someone make you laugh today. But sharing out that is fascinating. And, and that's where some things will come out of, oh, my, my mom's whatever, my dad's whatever, my, my girlfriend did whatever. And it's, it's just cool because we're just talking like people, um, and, and that kind of gives us some space to create a safe environment, an environment where we're, we're connected with each other. Uh, my school's pretty large. Um, and and I, also, I also tend to loop with my students. So my co-teacher and I have students in ninth grade, and then we have them again for 10th grade. Um, we're on a semester schedule. Um, so students don't necessarily have the same configuration of students, but they have me and my co-teacher ninth grade. They will have us again somewhere in their schedule the following year. Um, and seeing that progression year to year is really neat. But the one year we had looped, it was the end of the 10th grade year or the class, uh, and someone was leaving class and they're very and said, oh yeah, what, what's, what's her name again? Or what's his name again? And my co-teacher and I looked at each other and said, oh my gosh, they've been together for two years and they don't even know each other's names. And so smiles and frowns is a great way because students say their name first or, or all say their name. Um, and I think students saying their names are really important, especially for talking especially if, if there's a name that someone doesn't often pronounce correctly, or if a student goes by a different name than that's on the roster, whatever it is, or if a student just has a nickname they like, um, but students getting to know who each other are in the class. Um, and again, whatever we're talking about with students, that really cre helps create an environment where students feel comfortable. <laughs> it doesn't mean they will automatically excel in your content area. It doesn't mean they're magically going to do homework. Uh, I don't like homework, but so scratch that one. It doesn't magically mean they're going to do all of their classwork or they're going to always raise their hand and ask for assistance, but it does provide a space uh, where students know they're valued and it gives us another opportunity to connect with students and help them connect with the content. Um, and that happens simultaneously. I, I know we talk about there's a phrase of Maslow's before blooms and all that. I, I think all that can happen at once. I think we can build classroom community and learn content and skills and learn about life all together. Um, but creating environments where students feel comfortable, whether they choose to share or not, something like smiles or frowns, or whether they always engage with their classmates or not, they, they know who the people are around them. Um, and I think it helps broaden our experiences. I as a side note, again, to smiles and frowns. I love when someone will smile about something like, uh, 
smile, there's snow, because they really want to go skiing. And someone else will be like, frown, it snowed again. And we have the same thing there back to back, but it's great to see those differences in people or how many people are really tired that morning or how many people have plans for whatever, or how many are going to the, the game or the dance, um, you know, pre-COVID, that type of stuff. Um, but, but those give us opportunities to connect with students on any, on any facet. I know we're focusing on, on queer communities, uh, but in general, I mean, we wanna connect with students in any way possible and let students know uh, that they can be who they are in our rooms. So you're kind of answering the question that was coming up. It was, how do you create a queer affirming environment? Um, and we can talk more about that, but I do want to go back to asking about that question who of that football player jock student who was like, no, no, tell him, tell him you're not gay. And so when you did, how did he respond? I, so I, that was absent that day. Um, and I did not come out to him. We, my co-teacher and I just kind of laughed at it and we let it go. I, I wasn't ready to be out yet. Um, so I, I, I think my co-teacher must have said something like, you'd have to ask him. And even if he was like, so who cares? I think was her general response, um, but it hadn't come up again. Um, and so, and that, again, that, that was a story from before I was out. Um, and, and I think sometimes queer educators might feel guilty for not being out. And I, I don't think they should. I think we all have to be mindful of our, of our environments. Um, and, and that we have to do what's best for us in that regard both personally and professionally and, and those things are sometimes a hard match yeah so so that was that and i, I guess for all everyone listening they're like but i'm i'm not queer like this this doesn't have anything to do with me you may be asked questions about your colleagues and, and i think being able to say like that's an awkward question to ask somebody else <laughs> or like if you're really curious maybe you know try to ask them um and i know that puts people in really hard spots so perhaps if you have a colleague who, who is out to faculty, but not students, if you are friends enough with them, it might be a question. Like if students ask about you, if, if you know that colleague well enough to go up to that colleague and say, hey, if students ask about you, how would you like me to respond? Um, I, I, I think that would be helpful. And I don't know if there's a best answer. Because of course, by saying, by, by saying anything other than, no, of course they're not. By saying anything else, <laughs> accuse them in the, oh, they probably are <laughs> LGBTQ. However, um, that person might have a way that they prefer colleagues respond. And we don't want to put our colleagues on the spot, so please don't ask a stranger colleague how you want to respond. But if you know someone, uh, ask. Um, I, th I think that that's helpful. So let's talk about that. You kind of already talked about how to create an environment that's friendly. Uh, how do we create a queer affirming environment then? And how do we if we are not queer identifying, how do we create that environment for the community? Yeah, and I, I think and I think the reasons for creating that are really important too, right? So so I think even in the story I told, I thought like, oh, like we're things are going pretty well. And then I get stories from students of like, my parents, I don't, and some students will reach out. Um, and I, I will say, I, I think it's really important for any teacher in any context to maintain those professional boundaries that we have with our students is okay to talk with students about things but one at a certain point like that's what guidance counselors are for like that that's beyond my certifications and as much as i want to help as a human being sometimes that's not my role as a professional uh and and finding that balance 
is challenging. Um, but I think we need a queer affirming environment because not everybody, not all students have a support system. And so although I have not faced act discrimination, um, I do have students who will tell me from now time and again, like I, my parents don't know that I'm whatever, gay, trans, non-binary, whatever. Or, or can, can you not use that name when you email my parents? That, that tends to be a, a thing that pops up. And so I think not being aware, we talked about those terms earlier, right? Not being aware that, that someone is gay or that someone's trans or that someone's non-binary, not, not being aware of that, we might then misspeak and make something more challenging for students. And I know, um, I just talked with another educator the other day who said something like, um, like, did, did you know that if we know a student's, I think the conversation was about transgender students. Um, if you know someone's transgender that like, you don't have to tell their parents, I'm like, no, you, you don't have to. And, and I know that then we get that tension between like, how are schools protecting students and what are schools roles and, and how do we communicate with families and, and what's appropriate to share with families versus what is just a student being a student that we don't have to share everything. And, and so I know that that's a wider discussion, um, but some students don't feel safe at home. Uh, and not necessarily meaning that they are actually physically or mentally or emotionally unsafe, but they are just not sure how their parents will respond. And the parents could respond wonderfully. They just, but the student just doesn't know. I mean, I think any any of us who are who are queer have had that sense. Like, I, I, what's going to happen when I tell them? So I think because students are not sure how their students will respond, or they are, or they are, they are absolutely certain their parents will disown them, or 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 whatever it is, or or say hateful things, whether that will happen or not. Those are things we can't know until they happen. Um, I think because students still face discrimination, uh, real or perceived, actual potential, whatever, we, we need those safe spaces in school um, because we students don't know. And we all know that when, when any of us are worried about something else, other things take a hit. So academics might not be the top priority if we're really focused on how our friends are going to respond if I have to come out or how my parents might respond if they, if they hear uh, me using a different name. So I think building that respect and trust and safety within a school for queer students is really important. And I think it also, of course, it also shows students who don't identify queer in any way that, all right, like this is, this is another way of being. Uh, there are plenty of students and people who are queer out in the world. Uh, and it's, it's just something we go with. Right, just like people have different faiths and and people are are different races and speak people speak different languages. It's just another part of of our world. Um, those are that is important for our students who are not queer as well. Um, and you never know; they might have a, a gay child one day, or they might their best friend may come out. Like you, you never know these things. So I think creating that queer affirming environment is so important because there's so many repercussions from that. Um, and there's so much anxiety for students who may come out. Uh, and again, I, I do teach at a high school level. Um, I feel a lot of this is probably applicable to middle schools to some extent. And, and, and elementary schools is beyond my, although I'm certified, experience with, with, with queer communities at the elementary level is, is beyond my experience. But um, 
having having these safe spaces allows students to explore who they are and what the world means and and who they love and what's important uh, and how to interact with people. So so those I sorry I just want to touch base on those reasonings of of why these conversations are important. Um, but I think you asked me for other strategies. Is that no, we're for? No, it's not a problem. Totally derailed us. This no, is what happens when I talk. Sorry, not a problem. You answered the why of creating this environment, which is really important. We'll get to the to the how in a second, but I also want to add another point. Like when we create this affirming community, even for students who don't identify as as a part of the queer community, their parents, their relatives might. And when we don't create that, they feel shamed as well. And so I guess this very is very similar to working with multilingual students. When when they feel safe, they'll learn. They'll engage. And when and now this is not just for kids who are learning another language, but kids with different identities. When they feel safe, they'll learn and they'll engage and they're part of a community. And we want to teach kids that there are different ways of being and that's okay. And it's more than okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the how then. The how it can be challenging depending on who you are and who your community is and who your what your administration is like and what I mean. There's so many pieces. So I, I again, I just feel like I need to say I know I'm speaking from my own context, and then from speaking with with other teachers and educators who work with queer students. Um, I think one of the hardest parts of this of of implementing and, and trying strategies that will bring students in. Um, is that sometimes you feel like you're going at it alone. Um, I've talked with other, with gay straight alliance advisors who are just so overwhelmed. And I, I think, or teachers who are just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Or like, I don't know what this phrase means. Like what, what does cisgender mean? And I, I think if you're not part of the queer community, I think a lot of people might not know the phrase cisgender, that your biological sex matches your, your social gender. And I, I think feeling that you're doing it alone at school as an adult can be really challenging. Um, so I think reaching out, you mentioned, we both mentioned Twitter earlier, uh, whether it's Facebook groups or Twitter or, or, or however you connect with people, find other people doing similar work. Whether you connect with them and, and, and message them and, and build relationships with those people or just read their blog posts or tweets or whatever, just know that you're not doing it by yourself. And that if something feels so overwhelming, um, that there are other people in similar circumstances doing similar work. Um, so I think using online spaces is, is really important. Um, and I, I think we have to be aware that, I know change, change of course is challenging. And I know we all have different views on how fast change should go. Um, I am a slow change person. I suspect some of that, though, is also because I'm a white man. Like, I, I can afford to go slow with some changes. I think privileges that afford me, the privileges afforded to me, I think allow me to go slower on some things, um, whereas others are very much like changing to happen now. Um, so I, I'm aware of, of that. But I think sometimes when we're working and we're trying to build communities that are are safe for our, our for queer communities at school, um, I think sometimes we push too hard and too fast and and you are a classroom teacher and not an administrator and not on the school board and you are not yeah and you're not a, a district administrator um you might run up against roadblocks that that are beyond your power 
to change immediately. I don't think people should feel guilty for not doing everything they think they should be doing. Just like any of us with teachers. Oh my gosh, I should have taught that better. Or, or I wish I would have known that 10 years ago when I started teaching this type of thing. And like we learn as time goes and, and, and we gather strategies and, and ways to approach. So I don't think anyone should ever feel guilty about not being able to do everything they want right away, especially if we're talking about changing hearts and changing minds and changing and changing school cultures. Um, so again, so these challenges that I kind of want to touch base on. Um, I think sometimes we can't always do what we want, right? Oh, I, my school won't allow a, a gay straight alliance or I, I'm not allowed to put a rainbow flag in my window. But I think what we still can do is we can still treat people with respect. We don't have to, we don't have to feel that everything's political. Although I know the term queer is often used as a political angle, uh, intentionally, I, I, I think, I think uh, queer studies is a political movement. Um, I do some work in disability studies as well, right? And disability studies is political. I mean, it's asking who's included in what spaces and, and how do we make life, <clears throat> excuse me, and how do we make life um, accessible for everybody. So I, I know the concept of queer has a political bent as far as action goes, but I don't think we have to always be political in the classroom, depending on our contexts. Um, we can mention same-sex couples if we're talking about something. Um, sorry, if we're talking about treating people with respect. We, don't have to, we can treat people respectfully. We don't have to be political. So we can do other things. We can just mention same-sex couples if it comes up. Um, when teaching Shakespeare, I often, it's a throwaway line, but I tell people, right, that the younger boys would play female characters in Shakespeare and they would dress as women to play those parts. But it's different than drag. And, and I can tell students that. I mean, that drag is a different type of performance and entertainment than Shakespearean, than Elizabethan theater is. Of, of younger boys playing the female characters. Those are different. On the surface, they might look similar, but the drag is quite different than, than Shakespeare. And so I, I think mentioning that like, oh, drag exists is a, is a way forward. I mean, you're not being political. No one can accuse you of anything on that. I mean, I suppose anyone can accuse anyone of, of anything, but, but we're, we're mentioning the existence of drag as, a, as a entertainment. Um, so treating people with respect doesn't mean that we're pushing an agenda. Although if you're able to, if you're able to talk about treating people respectfully, we should do that. If mentioning queer people or queer issues is something that you cannot do in your school context, I think there are other ways that we can show that we respect everybody because students know that then. Um, students know when teachers care. And I, and, and I, I think we don't always have to talk about everything if our context doesn't allow for it, as long as students know that, that we care for them. So I guess I should loop back around to your question of other things that we can do, <laughs> which I kind of touch base on, but uh, should I just keep babbling on here, Tom? I feel like I, <laughs> you're nodding at me. Okay. Um, so, so what can we do? H how can we show our students that we support them? Um, and I know a lot of what I've been talking about has been my position as a gay, an out gay male teacher, um, which is not all of our experiences. So small things, other things we can do. I think um, showing a pride flag in your room or a sticker. I, I have a colleague who has a little pride pin on her lanyard with her teacher ID and just kind of hangs out there. Um, she's wonderful. Um, so, so there's that. 
I, I think that could be minor. Um, there is the updated pride flag that has a little triangle along with everything. Um, so updating your pride flags, I think is important. I think some people are like, oh, that new, or, you know, some people might say, oh, that new one looks like too busy or there's like too many things, or I just like my old pride flag with, with just the, whatever, seven colors. Update your pride flag. I, if you have one, update it. It's not hurting anyone to update it. Um, or again, whether it's a little sticker on your desk, I, I, think, I think that option has been around for so long but I think there's so much value in that. Students know. Um, student, students know that. Um, I mentioned before, but I think we, if we can mention queer people whenever we can, in passing, it's helpful. If we're talking about something uh, and, and you're telling, as a teacher, you're telling a story and you, you hung out with so-and-so and his boyfriend or so-and-so and her girlfriend or I think that's fine. If we're looking at argumentative topics and we're talking, I don't know if gay marriage is still an argument. I guess it depends what country you're looking at and, and whatever, but like throwing that out there as an option, I think just acknowledging instead of hiding something uh, is always more helpful than not. And then I think we can mention queer people in a variety of ways. As an English teacher, um, we, um, if you do choice reading, independent reading for a unit or uh, I, I do that throughout the whole year. Our first 15 minutes of class, students are reading the book of their choice. Other times we read whole class novels. We, we do read some canonical works still too, um, but students are often reading a novel they pick. Uh, I do book talks all the time. And so, so we've got What If It's Us and Cemetery Boys um, and, and so many others. Um, Date Me Bryson Keller was, was far cuter than I anticipated. Um, but I, I can throw out those options for students in uh, quick book talks that takes me two minutes as I go through all of my other books um, or, or many of my other books. Uh, so students know that they exist and that those are an option. And maybe students don't want to take those books out because um, they don't want to be out of themselves or, or they just don't want to read a romance book if, if it's an LGBTQ romance novel. Um, but students, again, know that they exist. I also work with pre-service teachers because I just keep adding things to my list to do. Um, so I do work with a range of pre-service teachers in different content areas. I am not an expert in other content areas, but I will say I think health classes and biology classes have openings to talk about queer topics. Um, whether we're talking about biological essentialism or genetics or impact of, of, of how biology impacts society. And so if we're gonna take a look at gender versus biological sex there, I think in health classes, we, we talk about relationships all the time. Um, and we, we talk about the reproductive system and all of that. I mean, there's, there's moments that we can talk um, if your curriculum and community allow for that. Um, again, or even if it's just a, a quick line of, oh, if you're, if you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or if you're with the person you're dating, um, if we're using they, them as pronouns, as options when we're when we're writing something. And then as a side note, if anyone is still like really hesitant about they, them pronouns, I will say they, them is a singular they, them is one of the best things. It took me a little while to get used to it in my writing, but I use it as singular writing all the time because he or she just gets so cumbersome. They is just so much cleaner. Um, and, and style guides allow for it. So if you're a stickler for rules, rules, you know, they change. Um, but whether we're using they, them for singular or they, them for people who are non-binary, using those as examples out loud, I think is a way to show students that like we are aware 
of, of the range of human experiences. Um, again, I'm not a math teacher, but if we have to go to math scenarios, I think we can mix up if if the word problems about couples, maybe it's it's two women. Um, if we're using data to analyze for a stats course, maybe we're using data pertaining to, to queer communities. Um, if we're looking historically, maybe I, whatever you want, I, I think we can use particular data. We can look at housing data. We can look at historical data for looking at, I know, I feel the AIDS epidemic. We don't need to focus on negative. But but if we're looking at history, I mean, we, we've got options of, of numbers that we can pull on. And then history, we've got, I think, a range of options. Um, I don't think any of these things mean we're pushing agendas, but just as we include or hopefully include people with disabilities and as we include multilingual learners, um, we have all of these options to show the, the span of, of human experiences. Yeah, I think about that. I'm, I'm giving you, here are two examples before we close. It's, yeah. I'm currently writing a book with Beth, the lovely Beth Skelton and one of our vignettes that we're writing uh, we're following this teacher through high school and um, the teacher uses they them pronouns so this imaginary teacher is they them so instead of talking about like he or she we're using they as an awareness of like saying like yeah there are there are other identities uh, in the school besides he she right and then i'm currently looking at new books for my next unit for my future in the future grade six i'm looking at inventions and innovations and Alan Turing, who knew that air, there's a British inventor called Alan Turing. Uh, his name is Alan Turing and he invented one of the first programmable computers. Um, and he's been shunned by society because he's open, he was openly gay. But only now are people saying, like when they talk about him as an inventor, they often like push that gay part out. But the book that I'm reading, well, the chapter that I'm reading that on him, they say they, they include that as part of the text and so, Ten years ago, I would have never shared that chapter about him, but now I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be part of his experience because that has a, has shaped who he is, right? and so yeah. that's how we do it. We don't we don't have an agenda, but we cannot hide it if it's part of a person's identity or experience that we're talking about. And and I know the word agenda is always this like anxiety inducing word, and I, I think. If there's any agenda, it is the intentionality of what we're choosing, right? It's it's how are we looking at our curriculum and, and how are we, um, what is included and what's not included in our curriculum. I just finished, as a side note, I just finished teaching a um, film appreciation elective. Um, and so we look at camera shots and angles and, and the technical things and we analyze film. And then recently I've been adding to that representations, right? How is disability represented? How is language represented in film? And this year I, I chose, as I go through all my genres, as I typically do, I decided to pick all films that focus on Asian and Asian Americans. So, right, Shang-Chi and, and Joy Luck Club and uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And we watched a film with subtitles, which I was shocked how many students watch shows with subtitles. I'd asked for hands and, and so many students had already watched movies subtitled. I didn't anticipate that. I guess that's what Netflix does for us. Um, but the, I don't know if it was an agenda, but it was an intentional choice on my part that I was going to show a bit more Asian representation in my film class. I was teaching everything I was going to teach anyway. We didn't quite look at history. We didn't quite, quite look at social critiques, um, but that representation choice uh, was an intentional choice on my part. And I think we can always make these intentional choices um, of, of who is centered in our curriculum or who is mentioned in our curriculum. Um, 
And so it's to help students see themselves and, and create this environment that is, is welcoming, that allows students to step into our content perhaps a bit more or be a bit more vulnerable with us. Right, right. That mirrors who they are, right. Mm -hmm. Well, let's end with this, Nick. It's been a pleasure talking with you and learning with you and, and having you share from your context and your experience. Let's end with traffic light teaching. What is something that you ask teachers to stop, start, and keep doing? Red, yellow, and green. In terms of um, uh, working with uh, being a queer advocate. I think the red, and I know, I know, I know you do traffic light teaching, so I, I had to prep this one. And I went back and forth and I think the red light, the things that we as educators should slow down or stop or question ourselves with is, I think we should stop thinking that students can't know who they are, right? We get this idea of like, is that student really transgender? Are they, do they really wanna use they, them? Are they, are they I, I don't know, do any of us really know who we all are or, or who we're becoming? Or like, there's always the, I, and, and, and is it fair to say like that student doesn't know that? Because we expect students to know other things at their ages. Um, and I think I would encourage us that if we have those thoughts, but that student can't do that, or, or that student can't know that, or it's too early for them to decide. Things change all the time. And if we're looking at if we're looking at the concept of queer on a spectrum or or on this wider field, things might change. I mean, and if it's if it's a spectrum, there's there's flexibility within that at any time with all of us for any of those identities. And I, I think shutting students down or out or th us thinking like that can't, that student doesn't know that yet. I would encourage us to stop and pause and catch ourselves on that and respect that student as an individual who's working through life uh, and, and is finding and settling in and creating themselves, um, just like we do with any other aspect of life. And I think that that that's my red light. Um, stop stop assuming students can't know who they are. The yellow light is something to ease into, right? To start, um, I, I think, in terms of our conversation here, yellow light is just be aware of how often you do or do not mention queer people. What pronouns are you using in your examples? Who shows up in your literature? Uh, what do you? What kind of discussions are you having about gender uh, in a social studies class, uh, or how people view uh, women at a certain time? Or right. So, what conversations are we having about gender, sexual orientation in uh, in your class? So that's my yellow light. That that questioning there, a little um, curriculum audit of sorts. And the green light to keep going, keep doing it. This sound, this is so simple, but not, of course, uh, is keep loving your students. And I know the word love in schools can be complicated. Um, however, love means to you, but I think we all got into education because we we love working with people. Like we're there's something about exploring life that is thrilling to us. I'm not asking us to be personal counselors to students. That's not our that's not what we're hired to do, um, but to love your to love our students. How are we encouraging them to learn? How are we encouraging them to be who they are? How are we creating environments where students feel safe and vulnerable and are willing to learn and take risks? Um, 
and so keep keep loving your students, whatever that means for who you are, um, and whatever that looks like of how you enact that. Um, and I know that's so simple. It's, it's probably a, a cheap answer on my part, but, but but keep loving your students because that's why we do what we do because we're making the world a better place and we're helping students. We're, we're helping we're helping people. That's that's what we do. Uh, that's why we teach. That's why we look at the various content areas and why we offer extracurricular activities. We're we're making people themselves. Um, so keep loving students to help students be themselves. Well, from this conversation and just um, hearing you talk for the last hour, I know that students feel loved and that they can be themselves in your class. Nicholas, thank you again. Thank you, Tom. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. For the first four years of my teaching career, I didn't come out at school. I barely came out in person, but I didn't have the luxury of being passing. My flame's kind of bright on normal days. However, at school, I left any mention of my queer identity at home. I didn't consciously create an anti-queer environment, but I never read books with students that had queer characters. We never talked about it when it was a major topic in the news. And I did not share my personal experience as a queer human being with my students. Simple things such as going on dinner dates with my boyfriend or taking our dogs out for a walk or what we did for Valentine's Day or our holidays. Those things were never mentioned. Yet these things, these minor details or luxuries afforded to non-queer people. Just like Nicholas shared, we need to create this space for our queer colleagues, our queer students, and their queer family members so people can feel safe to bring their whole self. And in doing so, the community is a whole lot better for it. Imagine a rainbow with just one color. How sad that would be. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.